Owning your own home has its advantages when you need to draw on your home's equity. And UK Federal Credit Union is now offering a fixed home equity loan with rates as low as 2.74% APR. Whether you're fixing the roof, making home improvements, or you need extra funds to send your child to college, a home equity loan with UK Federal Credit Union can help. UK Federal Credit Union is banking only better. Member qualifications apply. Rate is subject to credit approval. Other restrictions apply. For full disclosures, call 800-234-8528 or visit ukfcu.org slash promotions. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome into episode 76 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio, and today I come with good news, and I come with Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Sean, how are you doing? Fantastic, Jack. How are you? I am doing even better uh, now that it is Sunday evening. And Kentucky basketball has even more good news than they had last night after just absolutely crushing Florida in Gainesville. They top it off with a commitment from West Virginia center Oscar Shubway. I think last episode I I was calling him Oscar Shubway because it's kind of weird. You watch highlights in in his old game film. The announcers repeatedly call him Shubway. But if you go on West Virginia's actual player profile for him, they they specify Shubway. They have it spelled uh, out for him. Regardless, I saw that today too. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, "Wow, I've been saying this wrong for well, two years." Well, uh, I, I think we we were at least getting it somewhat close because there are a lot of people out there that just absolutely butcher it. Either way, you guys better get to better get used to saying his name because. He is a Kentucky Wildcat, commits to Kentucky Sunday evening over offers and interest from Miami, NC State, Illinois, and Tennessee. Um, and, Sean, it's a game changer for, for the Kentucky basketball program on, uh, on several levels. On one, he's going to be uh, – I believe he's going to be arriving on campus here for the second semester. So that means he is while he is going to sit out – game action for the rest of the 2020-2021 season, he's still going to be able to practice with the team and work out with the strength and conditioning coaches and all that. But UK has its anchor in the front court for the 2021-2022 class. Yeah, they do. Uh, you're essentially adding a an experienced five-star talent to your roster next season with all those guys that we've kind of been talking as, as names that should return next season. I mean, man. Uh, that's that's a huge piece, Jack, and I think that's something that you would rather add that piece than a five-star freshman coming into that class. And I, I think it's huge. Uh, not only is it huge for the program next season, I think it's very beneficial to this year's team if he does indeed enroll here in the next week or so and begins practicing with this team because it gives them a powerful body to go up against in practice. It only it's only going to help Olivier Saar. Lance Ware, Isaiah Jackson, and that front court. And then, too, Oscar gets to get in there, uh, get his body right, because we know what happens at Kentucky. Every time somebody transfers in, 
the first thing that you notice is the body change that they go through when they're at a place like Kentucky who, you know, pays attention to every single thing about a diet and helps, you know, with meals, uh, protein shakes, smooth, everything. So I'm expecting this to be one of the, a very solid payoff for both Oscar and Kentucky because he's going to have about 10 months in this program, Jack, before he takes takes the, fl- the floor for a game. Absolutely. So let's just kind of break down who he is, where, you know, how how we got to this point. So Oscar, um, let, let's actually go back to 2019 when he was a, a – a five-star recruit ranked anywhere from like 25 overall. I think ESPN, which ESPN has the worst rankings out of everybody, had him at like 48 overall as a four-star, which as you can see who ended up being, you know, more right in that situation. But um, as a recruit in high school, his his recruitment was pretty cut and dry Um didn't have much say in where he was going the first time around, if that makes any sense. So uh, he, his host family, he's he's originally from the Congo. His host family is very very connected with the West Virginia basketball program. He has a lot of deep roots with with the West Virginia basketball program. So it didn't really matter who else was calling or who else came offering. He was almost certainly going to West Virginia, no matter how his first recruitment. Uh, ended up. Um, in fact, he told me at the McDonald's All-American game in 2019, uh, he, he said that if he didn't go to West Virginia, if he had not signed with West Virginia, he would have gone to Kentucky. He loved UK. He loved what John Calipari was offering uh, the, the first time around. Thought it would have been a, would have been a fantastic fit, but he wasn't going anywhere outside of outside of West Virginia. When that offer came, um, it, it, was, it was pretty cut and dry at that point. So second time around – UK gets him, and and it's just huge, just on, on the surface level. But uh, so six foot nine, two hundred sixty pounds, averaged. Let me let me just double check. Um, he averaged eight point five points and seven point eight rebounds in ten games this season as a sophomore. Admittedly, has not looked um, all that impressive. And we'll get into the, into the reasoning behind that here in a minute, but. His freshman year, eleven point two points per game, nine point three boards, um, all all Big Twelve second team, all freshman team honors, preseason all Big Twelve team. CBS Sports listed him as the number fifteen player in college basketball heading into this season. Like this, this is a dude that had a breakthrough, breakout freshman campaign at West Virginia, um, and, and I mean there was there was just so much optimism about this kid. Um, just going into this, going into his sophomore year, he he tested the NBA draft waters, decided to return. I mean, people around the West Virginia program have absolutely loved him. He is a workhorse. He works his butt off. Um, just a high energy, high motor type type of player. And I mean, he's just an anchor. I mean, six foot nine, two hundred sixty pounds, seven foot five wingspan. The dude is. I mean, he's he's just a tank. Um, and so, so Sean, I, I want to ask you. In terms of on-court style of play, what do you like about Oscar's game um, from what you've, you've seen from afar at West Virginia and, and as, a, as a recruit out of high school and then kind of what, what you anticipate him being when he gets to Kentucky? His physicality stands out to me. I mean, you're getting a, a guy in the paint, Jack, just a bruiser. I mean, with that body, uh, six foot nine, I, I want to think he, he weighed close to – is it 260? Is that what he's officially listed at? Yep. I think in West Virginia's website. I mean, he was. Think about this. Going into this season, he was listed as one of the top fifteen players in the country in college basketball. 
with some of the the preseason honors that he was receiving going into this year. So this is a very talented guy, Jack, that Kentucky's added to the program. And I don't know if you've seen this or not, but uh, Bob Huggins spoke tonight. And he says outside influences dictated Shoeboy's decision to to exit the program. This is a quote. Uh, I think it's the world we live in, Huggins said. It's better to steal than it is to work and earn things. It's take the easy way out, and I think there were some people influenced who saw who saw where they could benefit, maybe profit, and worked very diligently at trying to get him out. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. And so I, I saw some. Even people... though there's a good relationship between Huggins and Cal, this is obviously a kid or a, a kid that West Virginia did not want to see walk out the door last week. Yes, um, and so. I saw some people on Twitter mention that that was a shot at Calipari or, or you know, the shot at the UK program. It was not. That, that's not what. It's not. That's not what the case no. is at all. No, that's implying that somebody. There were other people, not Kentucky, because obviously this was done before he ever committed to Kentucky. So whatever was going on at West Virginia, it was. Uh, it, we know that there were some concerns about his development and things like that that were coming from his camp as well, Jack. So. Uh, just a big addition to the Kentucky basketball program. I mean, you can add that to this this recruiting class that they already have coming in. And then we also you do you do not know what Sky Clark's going to do mm-hmm. when it comes down to a possible reclassification. So there's still a lot of moving pieces, but for the most part, I kind of you can kind of see what this roster honestly should look like when we get to June here in a few months. Yeah, uh, going back just real quick with the outside influences that was kind of it, it sounds it sounds scarier than it is but there 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 has been some worry about um way too many cooks in the kitchen so there are and I said this on last last episode our little pregame show leading up to uh, the Florida game there are it was. It's been a very difficult process. Like I said, the first his first recruitment when he was a, a coming out of high school, that was a decision that was not made by him. It was one that he, you know, very much it, he was he was going to be a West Virginia Mountaineer whether he liked it or not the first time around. And I think there was always kind of a sense of regret of I didn't get my say. I didn't get to go where I wanted to. And I, I think a lot of that is, it is those outside influences in his life. And those have remained there. Uh, Sean, in fact, we were driving back from Starkville a week ago and I got a text message. And I told you uh, when I got it, that, that it was, it was right after Sh- uh, Shoe left. I think he stepped away from the the West Virginia basketball program, they hadn't confirmed yet that he was transferring or uh, that he was even leaving permanently. But I got a text while we were driving back that said, um, uh, I, "I just I just heard that Shoeboy is entering the transfer portal. Uh, his camp is not happy with his development at West Virginia. Yeah. Wants to go somewhere else. So there has been something in somebody, plenty of people in his ear saying." You're not you're not getting the work done here. We gotta get you somewhere else because they want to get him to the league as fast as possible. Um, and it has made his development. I mean, there's just been a lot of things that have kind of hurt his hurt his development. I've heard rumors that he came in just a little bit out of shape this this off season. Um, just, there, there are just a couple things that we won't get into the nitty gritty of, but the, it w- it's been a very uh, complicated 
last several last two or three years for Shubway with the with the people in his life and and I, I was a little worried that when when those first rumors came out and he did did enter the transfer portal I thought that that would be kind of a situation that Cal was not interested in um, in the slightest but apparently those people that have been kind of running his running the show and his recruitment and his and his basketball journey uh, have have taken a step back they are not the same people um, that he's currently trusting and, and using as um, as guiding figures in his basketball career anymore so I think that was something that, that it, it checked the it checked all the boxes with Kentucky um, and we we got to this point I, I just I just can't stress enough how exciting it is to, um, you know, kind of going back to your point about just the, the roster as a whole for next season. I mean, it, it's, it, you don't often get to see a front court kind of piece together the way that it is right now and, and almost finalize well, you know, a full year in advance before the, the season even begins. You're going to get Lance Ware back. You're going to get Jacob Toppin back. Um, Keon Brooks and Isaiah Jackson, I think, are both up in the air, and we'll talk about Keon Brooks' massive game and and you know his his return and how he shocked everybody. We don't know about his NBA decision yet, but um, you're going to have Jacob Toppin and Lance Ware back. You already have Damian Collins and and Bryce Hopkins signed for next season, so you already have that that five that group of five with Shuboy, Toppin, Ware, Collins, and Hopkins, and then if either Brooks or Jackson returned, I mean. We are. I mean, we're talking some some dangerous, dangerous stuff there next season. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, like you said, we'll get into the Keon Brooks discussion and things here in a few minutes. But I mean, you're adding a McDonald's All American to your roster, just an elite talent. Uh, I I just think it's massive that he's going to be in the program this semester as planned. You know, if he does indeed enroll, which I mean, clearly. I think that was the the important part about making the transfer and the decision now was to mm-hmm. enroll before that semester begins here in a week or so. And then you get the summer and hopefully a non-COVID summer, hopefully a normal summer where they can get on campus early, get in the weight room and do some things that would uh, be normal. And then you get the, the fall and everything. You get 10 months, 10 months or more to be a part of the Kentucky basketball program, a, a jump that you get to see these freshmen come in in June and things and you get to see the changes that they make in their body in that short amount of time. But think about the changes that Oscar could make in his game in 10 months with the staff. Yeah. Yeah. Development has been a, a, a concern of, of Oscar. So Coming out of high school, he was seen as I, I saw him at several different events. Um, you know, UK was recruiting him pretty hard, so you know, as, as a result, I got to know him and his game just a little bit. Um, he is always, I mean, he's very new to the game of basketball, so kind of like what we saw with Nick Richards initially, and you know, other guys that that kind of started late, the the late bloomers, very very raw offensively coming out of high school, um, almost no touch around the rim, just kind of one of those. His game was almost solely based on you know diving for loose balls, grabbing tough rebounds, running fast breaks, and and you know catching lobs. And he he's he's always been kind of the do the dirty work type guy. But his his offensive game has grown quite a bit from from where I saw him two years ago. Um, kind of reminds me of of that Cliff Omarui recruit that the four-star kid that that UK was recruiting pretty hard trying to decide if they were going to offer or not um and you know how hard they were going to recruit him very similar situation just you could see 
all of that raw potential built up and that NBA-ready body, but he just wasn't ready to show it yet. And it's almost like we got to skip all of the the, the difficult parts with him going first, very successful first year uh, in, in Morgantown. And then uh, this year, a, a slight drop-off in, in production, lowered minutes. Um, I mean, it's just it, – it, he he hasn't seemed like himself this year, um, and I think that's just, it's just because there have been so many outside influences, and that's why it's kind of tar- hard to talk about. Because yeah, the, I, I think it is pretty clear that this year has been draining on him. It's been it's been weighing on him. The the pressure's been a it's been very significant. Um, so we're kind of missing all of the buildup and the hardships and the adversity, we're going to be able to kind of cut the line with this. He's going to have the rest of this season to, you know, work in the weight room, get back in shape, work on his conditioning, work on it, work on his endurance. And then he's going to be able to take back over kind of where he left off, I guess, going into this year. Not that we had, he, he's had some bright moments this, this season, but he is, it just hasn't been the top 15 player in college basketball, uh, kind of the expectations that people put on him initially. But next year we're going to get to see not the, the, the final product, but we're definitely going to see a, a very, very improved. I mean, you're going to be looking at the, a, a more, similar player to the 11, 11.2 points and, and over nine rebounds per game type guy that we saw uh, after his freshman year, not the, you know, eight and seven kind of only can play 19 minutes per game, a little out of shape uh, player that we saw this year. I think we're going to get the, the best of Oscar Shubway next season. Yeah, I would agree with that, especially given that he's going to be in the program as long as he will be. I mean, I, that's, that's obviously – an advantage that he's going to have over Damian Collins and some of these other guys uh, that'll be entering the program. Uh, when you look at this, though, you know we've all we all expect Lance Ware to be back. We all expect uh, Jacob Toppin to be back. They're adding Bryce Hopkins, Damian Collins. I mean, it's going to be a loaded roster. Like when it comes to guys that can play at every position, and it'll be something to watch. I mean, we can we can assume that all those guys are going to want to come back. It's never safe to assume, especially at a place like Kentucky. Uh, Keon Brooks, too. I think there's a lot of guys that are going to have to make very difficult decisions here in about three months. But what you what you've added is you've kind of established that you have some experience on next year's roster in shoe play. So even if you lose someone unexpectedly to a transfer or to an NBA to the NBA draft, because Isaiah Jackson done some really amazing things last night at Florida, uh, and I, I kind of I'm to the point now, Jack, that I just kind of look and think, man, he maybe he is going to go just by the, the little burst of uh, potential that you kind of see in his game, and with the NBA going off potential alone, uh, there's obviously going to have to be somebody exit from the front court other than just Olivier Saar because it's going to be significantly loaded with bodies. We've not even talked about Cameron Fletcher. And then, uh, too, I mean, if Keon Brooks improves significantly and that's kind of who he is, then maybe he puts himself in a position. But I'm still leaning more toward Keon Brooks possibly being at Kentucky another year just given that he's just missed almost half this season. But certainly Kentucky has options is the point that I'm trying to make. Uh, Cal has to feel pretty good about the bodies he has in the front court next year. And we said this on this last show, talking about him for the first time. I think this is a pretty strong statement for Calipari to to pursue him so hard and accept his commitment. Because 
this is going to be the year for Cal to get his guy. Get not yeah. just guy, his guys, whoever he wants on the transfer portal. It's going to be one of the craziest transfer markets we have ever seen. And this last year, I mean, there was like eight eight hundred plus people in the transfer portal this past year. So I mean, it's tough to get even crazier than that. But this year, with the one time immediate transfer rule passing, uh, or I guess it hasn't officially passed yet, but it's expected to, and and it would be a massive shock if it wasn't. I mean, Cal basically said. I know what else is going to be out there. I know it's going to be a very, uh, you know, very hectic, busy transfer transfer market this offseason. I am willing to pass up on the opportunity to sign anybody else in the front court, you know, barring Jacob Toppin transfers out of the program or, you know, randomly goes pro or Lance Ware transfers out, you know, whatever. There, there, there can be other ways to add other pieces if, you know, if, if things go south somewhere else or uh, there are any – unexpected departures but as of right now it's pretty clear who's going to be coming back and and who could potentially go and Cal basically said I I I don't I don't need that because I'm I want Oscar that bad and I think that I think that's a pretty darn strong statement on his part absolutely and to in my mind I can already kind of see the the rotation at that five spot I mean it's obviously you know Oscar's there I think Lance Ware will be in that, and then Damian Collins. You kind of already see the three bodies that you have at that position. Plus, you could slide and play a couple of those guys together if need be. And then let's let's just say, for the fun of it, that Keon Brooks is back next year. And then you got Jacob Toppin. The thing that helps those two guys, if they do come back, is they can slide and play the three, or they can play the four. Their skill set kind of helps, you know, them get on the floor in either one of those spots. Uh, it's a, it's a versatile roster, honestly. It's versatile pieces that I think has been uh, that's beneficial to why I think that if a lot of these dudes decide to come back and then you add Oscar, you add Collins, you add Bryce Hopkins, the skill sets kind of allow them to play more than just one locked-in position, which will help Calipari and the staff kind of keep everybody happy, kind of keep everybody you know getting an opportunity to play. You're kind of seeing that right now with this roster. Yeah, it's – I mean – I think spacing might be an issue. Uh, we've, as we've seen with time, uh, at times this season, Shoeboy is not a shooter. He's not going to stretch the floor in the slightest. He is a true back to the basket center. Um, so Cal's going to have to get a little, a, a little tricky. Damian Collins, as many, I love the guy. He's going to be a great great piece for Kentucky, but he can post as many three-point shots and, and bring the ball to the floor he wants for the, his high school team this year. He can post those videos as many times as he wants. He is not going to be doing – he is not going to be a stretch four at Kentucky. That dude is going to be on the block catching lobs and, and finishing around the rim. That's going to be his game next year. So uh, I, I know I know he's kind of trying to build up the stretch four unicorn type, type thing, but – he he is he is going to be best served on the block last next season. So you're gonna you're kind of getting into the same predicament that you are this year with Olivier Saar and Isaiah Jackson, where at times it, I mean they were just clogging the lane. You know they're they're clogging the lane and and things are just a little bit um just a, a little bit too hectic down low, uh, where Cal has kind of had to you know with with Keon back he's had to kind of spread spread the floor out just a little bit more and, and create some space uh, because r- right now it's it's just not working with the two big so I, I am interested to see what Cal does 
in that in that aspect. Um, you know, with Damian Collins, Lance Ware. He's Cal's been using Lance Ware at the four here a lot recently. Is is he confident enough having him out there? I don't know. I, what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, it's going. That's going to be the most interesting thing to watch going into next year is exactly how these pieces kind of fit around one another. Obviously we have to wait and see who's back. I think, I think Cameron Fletcher is going to be one of the interesting pieces that you circle just because right now he's in the doghouse. We have no idea, Jack, if he gets out of the doghouse at all this season, this may be a thing where he just doesn't play at all. Uh, yesterday when the lead kind of uh, got out of hand there a little bit, I thought maybe we're going to see Fletcher for a minute or two here at the end of the game. Nope. We didn't, so which kind of makes me wonder if we'll see him at any point down the stretch here. Uh, Kentucky's had some foul trouble a couple of games ago and stuff, and he still didn't get on the floor. So maybe this is something that you kind of look at at him uh, and some of these other guys that they're going to have some decisions to make. But you always take a guy like like Shoeboy. I mean, when a, a guy that he was very close to being at the Kentucky basketball program a couple of years ago, you already had a relationship built with this guy. You had a relationship built with everybody around him. It was an easy thing to do, Jack, was to take this commitment and uh, add some more experience. I mean, you see Jacob Toppin played at Rhode Island, but the experience that he gained playing one year of college basketball has helped him significantly this year at Kentucky. Davion Mintz, the experience. You saw it last night with Keon Brooks. You just you cannot teach experience. It's something that you just have to have, and I think it's just huge. I think this is how Cal – maybe transitioning to do to kind of building these rosters a little differently is you want to add some experience to it. You want to add the five-star freshman to it. And I think if you can get it figured out, it's the perfect recipe and the perfect blend to have some success. Yeah. It's, it's, I think you can kind of sense that Cal has, has gotten frustrated with how things have unfolded players that he expected back aren't coming back. You know, it's these last couple of years, I think have, 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 kind of hit Cal in a way that that um, he's he's tired of he's tired of feeling that way and I think that this this move in particular is like I, I have this guaranteed product in front of me this is a walking double double every time he touches the floor I mean remember do you remember that 2013-14 season with Julius Randall just knowing exactly what you're going to be getting every single time he steps on the floor you know you know, you don't know how many points he's going to get, but you know he's going to get double figures in both points and rebounds, and that's exactly what Oscar is. He's, you know, he he might have days where he drops twenty five and fifteen. He, you know, he might have days where it's ten and ten, but that's a dude that no matter what, he is going to to fill the stat sheet on on both those accounts, and and he's going to block shots for you. He just does all of that dirty work, and and kind of. You don't have to worry about him any every time he's on the floor like you sometimes do with Lance Ware or even Olivier Saar this year or, or Isaiah Jackson. That's a that's a guarantee. You know, every single time he's on the floor, you're going to get ten and ten out of him. So uh, that's I think th- there's a lot of excitement on that front. And and you add someone who you can play through on the on the block, which is something that this roster right now, if you have to point to something that they truly don't have, it's it's a guy that you can kind of post. And you feel confident 85, 90% of the time that they're going to make a post move or something and finish at the rim. Uh, Olivier Saar, they try to go to the block, but he's better in his face up game than he is anywhere else. So mm-hmm. I think that's the thing that you add is you have that big body that can just win battles and get position for you. Uh, Lance Ware is very good at getting position right now, but he's just raw when it comes to his skill set in the post, which I think is something that you will see improve 
with him going in next year. So you, you could essentially have two back-to-the-basket bigs next year that just play a physical game uh, that can help you. And then two really good rebounders. We've already seen what Lance Ware can do this, this year on the glass when he plays extended minutes. So I think that's huge uh, that they get Oscar and they add him to next season's roster. Now we just kind of see and just wait and see how this team continues to develop. Uh, we'll obviously be watching Scott Clark to see if that's a decision that he reclassifies and then uh, just who all returns. Yeah. And, you know, does anybody transfer? So it's also you got to watch the portal. You never know who's going to go into the portal. And that's the thing that's it's changed college basketball. Uh, it's you're Not only are you having to fight to hang on to the kids that are coming out of high school, now you have to fight to hang on to your own kids who are already on campus. And that's uh, a very intriguing thing to watch mm-hmm. as all these head coaches. I would, I would be losing my hair right now, <laughs> uh, basketball coach, because you, you talk about – you go to bed every night thinking, man, if this kid's not happy, he could be out of here and in the portal by tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you worry about that with guys like Cameron Fletcher this year. Uh, it, I mean, it's it's happening everywhere in the country. That's exactly what happened with Oscar. I mean, the dude, it, things just weren't going the way uh, he, he anticipated. There, I mean, like we said, a lot of outside resources kind of pushed him in that direction. And, I mean, he was gone in an instant, played ten games, and he said, you, I, I, I want to I, I – you know, get this fresh start immediately. And I think we're going to be seeing that across the country, especially in the next year when this rule is passed next year. I mean, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be just absolutely absurd. And I think that we could kind of rule out, you know, what I said yesterday. I wonder if Bob Huggins is giving John Calipari a call or if they talk now, <laughs> I'm going to say that they brought that he didn't influence, you know, Oscar picking Kentucky but I will say that I, I guarantee that John Calipari has made a phone call to Bob Huggins and you know talked about Oscar and talked about the, the type of kid he was in the program there. I'm assuming that that's a conversation that's, that's, had, that's been had or probably will be pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, I saw somewhere on Twitter, um, I, I can't remember who, it was a um, national analyst that, that's pretty well connected that said that UK was one of the the few schools that didn't tamper, and that was something that that you know when it kind of became clear that Oscar was was not content and things were kind of going south, that he that UK was one of the the main schools that you know s- stayed patient and let him hit the portal first and kind of talk to him the right way instead of trying to you know slide stuff in and, and convince him before the fact and that I mean that's got to be something that that Bob Huggins appreciated I mean their relationship Cal's relationship with Bob Huggins is, is just too strong to uh, you know ha- let yeah. any recruit mess that up um, so I'm sure it was handled very professionally and um, you know and if if Bob Huggins is willing to give Cal a you know the nod for this. I I said this on the last show. I I thought um, Cal would call Bob Bob Huggins Bob Huggins first and get a, a stamp of approval, either you know yes or no, and was going to go from there. And and if if Cal was willing to keep moving forward with it, it's it's pretty clear that that he got at least some level of glowing review from Huggins. And and he he mentioned in that interview, you know those those outside resources that he needed to kind of get out of his life. I don't think Cal's willing to take would be willing to take on a situation like that if if uh, those outside influences were still in his life. So I'd, I'd I, I just going off track record. I'm going to assume that all of the excess red flag stuff is out of the picture, and UK is going to get only the positive side of what this addition could bring. Yeah, absolutely. And just think about this: how kind 2021 has already been to. 
the Kentucky basketball program. You know, we're sitting here talking about Oscar, but now, I mean, this Kentucky basketball team, Jack, kind of risen from the dead the last couple of weeks. And <laughs> they're tied for the lead in the SEC with Alabama. I know Alabama has a game up in the win column. They're 4-0. Kentucky's 3-0. Sets up a monster matchup Tuesday night at Rupp Arena that I, I think a week and a half ago none of us thought would be a huge game because we were sitting here wondering, is, is Kentucky even going to win a basketball game? <laughs> but really good win last night at Florida, Jack. I know that we're going to dive into that now and just everything that just happened in Gainesville, just a, a really good night. A lot of a lot of guys got to contribute. It was a very balanced effort when you look at the, the box score. I think Davion Mintz and B.J. Boston led them with 13 apiece. Uh, Keon Brooks chipped in with 12, Olivier Sark 10, Devin Askew 9, Isaiah Jackson 9. That, that's the kind of balance that you wanted. It, it wasn't just one guy. It was a collective team win. And that's what I think is making this team so much better right now is it's everyone has kind of carved out their role, which is – it happens in Kentucky. By, by this time of the season, you start to see guys define their roles. But I like what I'm seeing right now because it, there's – I haven't been seeing any egos on this team. Like, it kind of seems like – like, B.J. Boston, really, really good last night. That was easily his best game as a Kentucky Wildcat. Yeah, and, I mean, it was – so, so necessary because I, I, I think you could kind of sense with Cal uh, over the last week or so that he's gotten a little bit frustrated with the fan response. He's been kind of over overdoing it with we have good fans, we have classy fans, they're good to these kids, they're good to these kids, trying to kind of put a bug in the, in the fan base's ear like, keep being that for BJ because he's obviously going through, you know, a, a – a hit of confidence, and I, I, I really don't know when that is going to break out it, 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 just in terms of a shooting night. But what was so impressive about the Florida game and his, his performance there is that he found a way to impact the game elsewhere that made him a net positive on the floor. And that's what Kentucky needed. Right in the, you know, in the past – it was missed shot after missed shot, bad shot selection, like you said last time. Uh, it, I mean, it was like a turnover. Every single time he shot the ball, it was basically a turnover. And it got to the point where he just wasn't playable in, in the games. And we saw back-to-back games. He was not in the game in the last five minutes. And even down in Starkville, he missed the last, like, three minutes of the game, missed all of overtime one and all of overtime two. So something had to give at some point, and I think – we got that slight breakthrough moment. I'm not ready to say B.J. Boston's back or he's he's made his official arrival, but it was such a breath of fresh air to see him impact the game and make positive plays for his teammates. He had a couple great passes to Keon Brooks and, uh, you know, jump the passing lane, diving on loose balls for steals. I think he finished with four steals. I mean, he just did everything that you needed him to be outside of the dynamic shooter. I mean, he still finished with 13 points. So, you know, he still uh, made, a, made a dent in the scoring column. But it wasn't the way we all anticipated coming into this season. And I think it was a positive development. Yeah, he got 13 on three of eight shooting. It's significantly better than his 13 on three or 14 games that he was having uh, there a few weeks ago. But there were four plays that stood out to me about B.J. Boston last night. And I was so happy to see it because here's a kid who I know this is this hasn't been easy on. You know, he came out with the tweet this week, uh, you know, saying that he doesn't need sympathy and things like that after, the, you know, the booing uh, incident that happened at Rupp Arena versus Vanderbilt. But the first play was the three that went in for him there early in the game. I thought that that was one of those things where he finally got to see it go through the net. That was his first made three since the Notre Dame game. 
And I think maybe that took some pressure off his mind. The play to Keon Brooks where he drove down the lane and then dumped it showed the unselfishness. That's a play that he forces two or three games ago. Then uh, the, the play at the end, him diving on the floor with 30 seconds to go in a blowout win, and he's learning to fight. Those little things like that, Jack, just stood out to me so much because I'm like, okay, here's a kid who is learning how to fight, and the game is pretty much in hand, and he's on the floor fighting for every single ball, and he's trying to show his coaches, hey, I want to be a part of this. He's one of his teammates he wants, he wants to be a part of this. Uh, Devin Askew made a pass to him there in the second half, and B.J. bobbled it out of bounds. The moment it hit out of bounds, B.J. Boston didn't drop his head. He literally turned to Devin Askew and said, good pass, that one was my fault. Yep. So you're seeing you're seeing the good teammate, and you're seeing – you know, the body language, and that's so that's so encouraging. It's, it's so positive uh, for a kid who's been through a lot the last few weeks to kind of have that mindset. And I think the biggest thing is the way Dante Allen came out Friday and defended B.J. when he was asking about the booing. Yeah. Uh, Davion Mintz has defended him. John Calipari's defended him. You know that these guys on that team have all defended him. When you have your family and your brothers going to bat for you, it kind of changes the way you think about everything. And mm-hmm. I think that's why you saw BJ come out and fight the way he did. All those guys are going to have his back. And probably what has been the worst time of his life mm-hmm. going through this this rough stretch. I mean, he's certainly not had a stretch like this at any point in his career. Uh, when you see your brothers taking up for you and, and fighting for you, you're going to go out there and you're going to fight you know, tooth and nail for everything that you get. And I think that that's what you saw from him last night. Yeah, absolutely, and, and you you kind of touched on it in passing. Our next topic, we're obviously going to talk about the return of Keon Brooks, but before we do that, I want to talk about our friends at UK Federal Credit Union. Owning your home has its advantages. If you need to draw on your home's equity, UK Federal Credit Union is offering a fixed home equity loan with rates as low as 2.74% APR. Whether you're fixing the roof, making home improvements, or need extra funds to send your child to college, a home equity loan with UKFCU can help. UK Federal Credit Union, it's banking only better. Member qualifications apply. Rate is subject to credit approval. Other restrictions apply. For full disclosures, call 800-234-8528 or visit ukfcu.org slash promotions. Federally insured by NCUA. All right, so Keon Brooks, what a turn of events for, I mean, just just a roller coaster of emotions for the last week. So about mm, five days ago or so, we had a phone call, Sean, where we kind of looked at each other and said, I don't know if Keon's ever going to come back this season. We we had heard something about uh, his medical situation, uh, and we kind of hinted at it on on our last show and the one before he was cleared, where we were kind of like, "There's no like eligibility issue. There's nothing excess going on. It's literally a a very very concerning health situation that they're just trying to trying to get through." And I thought it was very interesting that Cal's tone kind of flipped there toward the last several weeks where uh, he was saying things like he has to be medically cleared instead of you know he's going to try out his calf and you know he's, he's going to try running on it and we'll see how it goes you know it, it's it was it was when he was medically cleared by doctors instead of until he feels better to to return I thought that was pretty telling and I thought it was also telling that after the game Cal said something to the effect of 
uh, Keon Brooks this week when he, he had his last checkup with the doctors um, before being cleared, and he went, he went into that office and said something to the effect of he went in assuming that the doctors were going to tell him, you know, he was emotional. He said he was shaking, his hands were shaking, and, and uh, you know, he was super emotional about it because he thought the doctors were going to tell him that he couldn't play longer, that there was going to be another significant setback. And I thought, okay, that's definitely, there's something more to that story. If what, Why is he so terrified of what the doctors are going to tell him if, if it's his own calf, if he's, you know, he's the one running on it and he's the one that's deciding if he feels better or not? I thought that was a very, um, very telling quote. But nonetheless, he is declared – or he, the, the, the doctors say that he's good to go. Um, and where the hell did this performance come from? 12.6 of 8 shooting, uh, 6 rebounds, 4 assists, 1 block, 1 steal. Sean – Keon was an absolute dis- difference maker, um, just just absolute game changer in his debut this season. He changes them. He changes the way that they play. He makes everyone better. He helps with spacing. You've already got Dante Allen, who's improved, who's improved spacing significantly. But when you add a guy like Keon Brooks, who defensively can can guard, he can switch onto a big. He can guard a perimeter player. Uh, the experience factor. A full season of college basketball under his belt. You had a guy who he's not a knockdown shooter, like he wasn't his freshman season. We, we still have to kind of wait and see exactly how his shot has improved from the three point line. Mm-hmm. But he's a guy that's at least capable of making an outside shot that you have to respect. He can put it on the deck and make plays. He can he can post a smaller defender. He just changes the way that they play offensively. Just having him on the floor, uh, a guy who can kind of. You know, the experience factor to me on the offensive end is just a big thing. And I just think that the offense will flow better. Spacing will be better for for Olivier Saar. I mentioned that on yesterday's episode that I actually think that Saar will be the guy that benefits the most from having uh, or, uh, having Brooks on the floor. And then you add Dante Allen in the mix, too. And I just think that it just it helps this team. Uh, it helps the guards. It helps the post. Just the overall spacing everything just significantly improves with Keon Brooks. And then too, you just, you have another leader on the floor. You have a guy who has been through SEC play, all these places that they go and play over the course of the next couple of months. He's been there. He's, he's traveled. He knows exactly what it takes to win basketball games this time of year. And I'm not saying that had he played the first seven games in Kentucky would have been six and one, but they certainly wouldn't have been one and six. I think that they would have found a way to at least win a couple of those games couple of those close games where things kind of traveled there in the second half. I think he would have been able to keep the, the glue and everything together. And I, I just think that his impact is just going to be significant. And that's kind of what we were holding out for. We kept saying we want to see this team when they're fully healthy, when Keon Brooks is available. But we kind of began to wonder, are we going to see him? And then once they were one and six, kind of wondered how much he could help. But now you see it. You see, you see his impact. Yeah, it's. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's like having another coach on the floor, and Cal kind of mentioned that he was like he, he was. He's just that stable force for you when everything's crumbling around you, and there's so much pressure to to do things well. Keon on the sideline as a cheerleader is great. He was a great. He he was a great sport. You know, he, he was jumping up and down and screaming and yelling and you know doing his best from there, but. There is such a significant difference between what he was before versus an on-court coach saying, hey, no, 
I need you here. I need you to go here. Pass this, you know, pass here. Take this shot. Keep your head up. You got this. I'll hit you on the next one. It was just – Cal even said uh, one of the, toward the end of the game he had Keon take the ball out and, and pass it in because he said – I knew 100% that he was going to be the one to make the right play and make the right pass and not turn the ball over. You know, when, when um, Florida was kind of flirting with that, can, can they make a, another run? They, they scored a couple baskets and forced a couple turnovers, and, and you could kind of thought, uh-oh, or is, or is you know, Kentucky going to let go of the rope or are things going to go south here? And Keon made the right play. They were able to, to capitalize on it, and Kentucky coast to a significant win. That those little things like that are it's those that's those are the reasons why Keon is such a massive addition. But I mean, just just in terms of of how he looked in his his actual on court presence as a player, I mean, he was jumping out the gym. I mean, he had a couple alley oop dunks and and he had that one massive dunk in, uh, on the fast break where I mean, he there's that beautiful picture that UK that UK posted. He looked like uh, Michael Jordan floating through the air. I mean, it was just it was just a beautiful beautiful picture but he was just doing so many things for you 12 points is 12 points I mean it's not you know he's he's not you know tearing the world to the ground with with 12 points but it was how he was just impacting on both ends of the floor and you could see you know, he had a couple uh, miscues and 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 you know you know misfires and, and mix-ups at times but for the most part I mean his rust was almost just non-existent I mean it was it was almost like he like he hasn't been out since the first week of October. It was, it was I mean, it was just just it blew my mind how good he looked as soon as he did. Well, it's helped that he was able to go through workouts. He just couldn't have contact. I think that's been the big thing is he's in shape. Uh, I don't think there were concerns about his playing shape, just given that he was able to work out while he was you know away from the team and away from being able to play in games due to that injury. Uh, but when you look at him. The first thing that you notice about him is his body. Mm-hmm. We haven't got to see me. You and I were with Keon in Florida the day that they came back to close the season last year. That is the last time, Jack, that either one of us have seen Keon up close, face to face. Yeah, like we haven't been near him at any point. And last night, when he takes his warm up top off, and you see him out on the court, his shoulders, his upper body looks stronger, his lower body looks stronger, and you see. Sophomores at Kentucky, they're a big deal. The, the jump from freshman to sophomore year, we've seen it pay off. Uh, Tyler Ellis, completely different player. Uh, P.J. Washington, a couple of years. Uh, I'm not saying that Keon Brooks is going to put up numbers like those two did, but just the overall impact with the leadership and the approach and the attention to detail. You have a guy now who is battle-tested, who has been through the, the downs, they've been through the highs, and they know exactly what it takes to win at Kentucky, not just win in college basketball. Davion Mintz, Olivier Saar, they've played college basketball. Jacob Toppin, they know how to win games. But you have a guy who knows what it takes to win at the highest level of college basketball. Now he's healthy. He's kind of at the centerpiece of the core of what this team is wanting to do. And that just changes everything. It was one thing to have that voice in your locker room. It's another thing to have it on the court with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I'm very interested because things are going very well for the U.K. basketball program. Three straight wins. They're winning in convincing – they they just won in convincing fashion for the first time since Moorhead State. Um, 
but there's one kind of there's an elephant in the room, and you got a message that you, that you just sent to me uh, from Corey Melson. Great question. It says, um, "Hope you guys touch on this, but what do you think our starting five looks like when Terrence Clark comes back? Would have to assume Keon jumps back in at the four spot, and um, with all that he brings to the table, also think Mintz has to stay at the two. As good as Askew is playing, I think you have to keep starting him at point guard. Do you think Clark return needs to return to the starting lineup or bring him uh, or Boston off the bench?" Sean, I think that is the question of the hour that I thought at, at Kentucky's highest moment against Florida, I was like, whatever's happening right now, right this second, just keep it this way. The, the, the recipe right now is working for, for Kentucky. But there's one very significant piece that's going to return to the puzzle that, that you know, it, it's a fit. It's a fit issue or it's just it's something that you have to keep keep track of and keep in mind as you move forward Sean I'm dying to know where you think Terrence Clark fits into the, this 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 puzzle it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to, to see exactly how Cal kind of handles this situation because there's one thing that's very clear to me right now when you look at minutes and who is playing the most minutes it's Davion Mintz getting more than 35 last night, and then Devin Askew over 30. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's crazy. What do you think about all the pieces on this roster? But it, it's to the point now where what we once considered Kentucky's weakness is kind of becoming Kentucky's strength, is their point guard play. Yeah, You're seeing the two point guards play very well. You're seeing them play very well together. Uh, I think that you lock those two in for starting spots. I love the way that Devin Askew has learned how to fight. I like the, the mindset that Devin Askew has. Uh, when he makes a bad play or something goes against him, he doesn't drop his head. He, he figures out a way to come back with a positive play. Davion Mintz is kind of the the guy that you just kind of navigate every single game with playing a ton of minutes. He's going to play a ton of minutes every single night. Jack, you're seeing it now. His, his value to this team is significant. I, don't, I think he has outperformed anything that we thought he would do this season in Kentucky. He was kind of forced into that role with B.J. and Terrence and these guys struggling early. I kind of think you got to keep those two starting in the backcourt, but then it becomes interesting. I think Cal's going to continue starting D.J. Boston because I think he he's holding out that is eventually going to turn into one of those go-to guys down the stretch that they can kind of run a set for and get a basket for. You, you saw the confidence for him with him last night, so I don't think that's going to change, especially given – what BJ's been through the last few weeks, and then him playing his best game last night. I don't see that role changing, at least at the start of games. So I don't really know where Terrence Clark fits, but I will tell you this. There's there's one thing that has played out in the last few weeks that I think has been good for not only BJ Boston, but I think it's been good for Terrence Clark. Those two guys came in with the billing of superstars. We all built them as a superstar. We all talked about them being a superstar. They're on NBA draft boards. They've been the best player on every single team that they've played on their entire life. It's been very important that they've got to watch their teammates win without them. And I think that's a thing that is going to help them because now it's like, okay, they're winning, especially for Terrence. They're winning without me. They've won three games without me. I can't just come back into this thing and kind of take over. There are other guys here who are making plays. And I think that that's, that's good for Terrence. What was the one thing? that we kind of heard about Terrence Clark before we got to Kentucky Jack. We talked about it on the show a couple of times that Calipari guys, you kind of have to stroke his ego a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, this has kind of been a humbling thing. You know, he's hurt. He's had an injury. 
But you have to think that it's kind of been a little bit humbling to sit there and watch and think that, wow, this team's went on a 3-0 run here without me. I can't just come in and think that I can just take over something. I've got to buy into what my role is and whatever Coach Cal decides that I'm going to do. Yeah, we saw that with B.J. Boston. That I think the, the Florida game was a, a massive step in the right direction just in terms of him realizing who he is right now as a player and not – you know, going out of his way to find a shot and, and shooting through his mistakes. He's like, okay, I'm struggling right now. I can have somebody else, you know, make up make up for where I'm, you know, make up for my mistakes right now. I think – And I, I'm I completely not saying agree. that Terrence Clark is doing anything that resembles being a bad teammate. I'm not no, implying yeah. that. But what I'm just saying, for a kid of that, you know, stature and everything with his recruitment and how he was viewed, I think it's one. Of, I don't think it's a bad thing that he's been able to kind of sit back and think. You know, this team is winning without me now. How can I make this better? And I expect him to come in and have a good attitude about it whenever he does come back. I just, but I also think that there's been another thing that's happened the last couple of weeks that's helped Kentucky. Their point guards have figured out how to be point guards, and they're no longer going to have to force Terrence Clark to play the one. Yes, I think that that's a big thing that has happened. It was going to. It, it probably would have worked out. Terrence Clark probably would have been very good at that spot at some point. You can still give him the ball whenever he returns in certain situations. But Kentucky's point guards, learning how to play point guard, has been the biggest change on this team, in my opinion. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and I think one thing we need to keep in mind is what happened when Dante Allen entered the game and became Dante Allen this year. He only had six points, two of three shooting from three. Yeah, you know, didn't need him to be that, you know, that knockdown sh- score. I mean, he did – He, I mean, his two threes were, were you know, kind of in that situation where UK needed a little spark, uh, a little just shot in the arm, and he came in and he did just that, but they didn't really need him the rest of the way. But he, his presence on the floor spaced everything out. Everything spread out significantly. And when Keon Brooks was also in the game and it was those two together – there was always a shooting threat, especially with Olivier Saar. There was always a shooting threat on the floor, and I think that is going to help Terrence Clark's game dramatically. As in, in, in before Terrence's injury, he was basically driving into the rim, driving into the lane, and being met with basically four bodies. He's, he's having to navigate around four big, long bodies in – uh, Olivier Saar and Isaiah Jackson, and then the two people guarding those two players, there was no room for him to, to, to work with. And that's that's when he's at his best, is driving and slashing and trying to uh, navigate to the rim and, and finishing at the rim. When he comes back, we're going to see the best of Kentucky's offense, things spaced out, uh, uh, just a little bit more room to work with for Terrence with the ball in his hands or just as a as an off-ball slasher. And I think that's going to be significant for him moving forward. B.J. Boston's shot has to start falling, but when it wasn't, look what he's been doing recently, just especially against Florida. He's been attacking the rim and, and trying to find out ways to score get to the free throw line, do all that. Terrence is going to be the exact same way, and I, I think a big part of that is the uh, the return of Keon Brooks and the addition of, of Dante Allen. How do you make yourself playable? I think that's the biggest question. You, you've got you've to be playable uh, when you're not hitting shots, and I think that's the biggest change that we saw yesterday with P.J. Boston is he, you know impacting the game in different areas, whether it's rebounding, whether it's assists, whether it's steals. I mean, that's what we're talking about with Keon Brooks right now. I mean, did he have six assists total last year? 
if I'm not mistaken, for the entire year. And I think he had four yesterday. Yeah. yeah. I want to think it was six all of last season. Maybe, maybe a little more. I'm not sure, but it, it yeah. definitely wasn't many. But he impacted the game in so many different ways. That that's what you want. Make yourself playable. Make it do two or three things that don't show up on the scoreboard that shows up on the stat sheet, and you'll play minutes. Yeah. And uh, and that's the thing too. But you mentioned Dante Allen and exactly you know how he changed this team. And you know going in yesterday and drilling those two threes, it opened the game up for Kentucky. Uh, Dante passed some shots. Uh, that he probably mm-hmm. should have taken there, especially in the first half. There was one that was wide, wide open. open. He decided to get to the baseline and shoot a pull-up jumper. But Kentucky uh, Kentucky and Cal, they also committed to playing him a lot of minutes again yesterday. I think he played 23, close to 24 minutes, I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, so they're, they're committing to playing him, and I think that's something that has been encouraging to see. Is uh, even they don't they didn't need him to go out and hit seven threes last night. Will there be a game where they need him to step in, hit four or five? Absolutely. I think that – that will come again at some point this season, but he's playing to his role. I thought he was much better defensively. I know he had uh, one steal. I'm pretty sure of that he made a play that led to to an opportunity and transition. So just find ways to impact the game other than just scoring points. Uh, that's going to be key to getting on the floor right now. You saw it with Lance Ware a couple of games ago when he was getting a ton of minutes. It wasn't because he was scoring points. It was because he was rebounding and defending his tail off. Uh, and Jacob Toppin, it seems like he does one thing a game that makes you go, what in the world is that? He'll either shoot a turnaround <laughs> jumper that goes over the basket or he'll try to take off and dunk on somebody. But then he'll follow it with two or three really good plays. And I just think that's who Jacob Toppin is right now. Is you got a guy who just plays hard, but you also see the potential in his game. He, he missed that jumper yesterday badly, and then he follows it with a, a wide-open jumper that he hits nothing but net on. And I Kentucky has a lot of guys right now, Jack, that are finding ways to contribute. It's not the most talented roster that Cal has had, but I would actually argue that it's probably one of his most productive, given that he's gotten something out of all these guys at some point, which is something we haven't been able to see, to say really, I don't think at any point in the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you look at 18 assists on 29 made baskets. I, I, I love yeah. that. Um, 14, and, and it wasn't even a game that, that you know, just against Vanderbilt, UK had almost no turnovers. Would they only have six turnovers overall against Vandy? I think they only had two, right? Two? Um, the, yeah, that, I that, think that, it was only two turnovers. That might be possible. Yeah, whatever whatever that number was. They still had 14 turnovers, four by Isaiah Jackson alone, three by Devin Askew, um, two by Keon. So th- it wasn't even a flawless game. It wasn't even a, a polished game in the slightest. They were just, you know, the, the, their their good was just significantly better than than what Florida brought to the table. And and that's that's kind of where you take a step back and go, okay, this is what we saw going into this year that made you think that this team could be special. And it's just its just so bizarre to me that, yes, it was B.J. Boston's best game as a Wildcat, and, he, and I thought he played very well uh, across the board. But that wasn't what we – you know, I, I thought B.J. Boston's very good was going to be 25 points on, you know, 60% shooting. I thought that was going to be something that when, when, when he would have a big game, you'd go, okay, that's, that was a B.J. Boston game. And – we still haven't gotten that. We still have not hit that stride with Terrence Clark or B.J. Boston yet, and it's just it's just bizarre to me that they're finding ways to win these games and and cruise to wins like the, or a a win like they did in Gainesville, 
and they still haven't gotten that elite play out of their two best players just in terms of pure talent, which is just – it's just – it's blowing my mind to think that this team could take an even bigger step forward when those two kind of find their groove and, and get back to full strength. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, it was two turnovers against Vanderbilt, so yeah. very good there. They had 14 yesterday, so 16 total in the last two games. Another thing that stands out to me, they were 12 of 13 at the free throw line yesterday. They were 26 of 32 versus Vandy. Uh, so that's an area that has significantly improved the last two games as well. You're, you're seeing this team get better. That's what we all want to see. That's what everyone, Kentucky fans, want to see. That's what John Calipari wanted to see was this team improving, making strides, and getting better. And now what they've done is a couple of games ago, uh, when we talked after the Louisville win, I, I told people I was tired of telling them it was going to be okay because honestly – I didn't know if it was going to be okay. Yeah. It was one of those things where they had to kind of decide whether they were tired of getting embarrassed and just win a basketball game. And that's what I said on the preview show going into Mississippi State. Find a way to change the mind. And look at this. How how much different is it now that they, that they won a basketball game? Now they've won three in a row. They're starting to have a little bit more of a swagger to their game. And they're confident again. And you notice, uh, you know, the SEC is kind of looking at this thinking, man, that's a four and six Kentucky team that's coming to town here in a couple of weeks. But that's not really a four and six Kentucky team anymore. That's a Kentucky team that's playing like we thought that they would. And uh, Cal is kind of, that's that's the thing that makes Cal great, right? He gets, he blends rosters. He makes them work at some point. Sometimes it develops at a different rate than it does in previous years. This one was a little different. They just, they didn't know how to win basketball games, Jack, and now they know how to win. And the most encouraging thing about last night is they kind of trumped everything that I said. I said that there were going to be a ton of close games in the SEC, and I didn't think that they'd really just blow anyone out. They certainly blowed someone out last night. That game wasn't close. Uh, Kentucky was clearly the better team. That's still an NCAA tournament team, in my opinion, even without uh, Keontae Johnson. So it's a good win. It's a good win on the road. And honestly, I think it – it's, it was a quadrant three loss for Florida, which will change. Yeah. Kentucky's mm-hmm. going to improve when it comes to that. It won't be a quad three loss for Florida much longer. But how, how crazy is it that that was actually a quad three loss for Florida <laughs> when they when they lost to Kentucky last night? <laughs> yeah. It's, That's it's, nuts, right? <laughs> none of it makes sense. None of it makes any sense at all. Ugh. It doesn't. It's, it's been a weird year, and right now you just got to win. And I think that we're on a collision course for the Texas game here in a few weeks to just be a massive game. It's unfortunate that COVID is kind of is a thing and it's limited attendance because that would be a huge matchup. It'd be a packed house at Rupp Arena. Kentucky is trying to take care of business in SEC play. And going into Tuesday, they have an opportunity, Jack, to pick up a very good win against a Alabama team who is scoring a ton of points right now. It's a win. It's an opportunity to get a win that will show up on Selection Sunday. And I think that that's kind of been the thing that's been missing uh, from Kentucky's resume right now. Now, last night was definitely a step in the right direction. I've already mentioned that I think Florida will be an NCAA tournament team, uh, but you have a hot Alabama team coming to Rupp Arena, opportunity to get a big win, and they play them again two weeks from Tuesday. So you're going to get two shots at Alabama. I think they need to split those games, uh, win one of them, lose one of them, uh, regardless of which – it doesn't matter to me which one it is, but you got to win one of them. But it's kind of – we're kind of on a collision course now for that Texas game just being a huge matchup yeah. at Rupp Arena on the final uh, final Saturday of the month. Uh, Kentucky can go on a run here in SEC play. I think when you look at the schedule, you got Alabama, you got Auburn, you got Georgia, 
Uh, you have LSU, then you have Alabama again before you take on Texas. There, you can see it. If they can get a win Tuesday night, there's a little, there's an opportunity for a run here going into that Texas game. I don't think it's out of the question that they can kind of play their way back into a top 25 team yeah. if they go on a stretch here. And that game against Texas, that's the one that you've got to go get because you've got to have something to show for the non-conference portion of the schedule. Mm-hmm. And this will be the final opportunity that they have. And I think that that's what we're building towards. Is That's going to be my next assessment of this team. Who are they when they play Texas on January 30th? Because there's still some games to get better between now and then. I think that'll be the kind of the game where the whole the national scene wants to see, okay, how much better has Kentucky gotten over the course of the month of January? Yeah, I, I think they will be able to, to write their own narrative here moving forward. I think people kind of understood – that Kentucky was a bad basketball team. They didn't know how to win games. They had more struggles than you could even list off. It was just one thing after another. And I think even, you know, you're talking to some of the other SEC coaches in, in the conference, and, and they even said this is not a one-in-six – this is a one-in-six Kentucky team, but they, they don't have the talent of one-in-six Kentucky team going into conference play. And I, I, I do I, – I agree with that. I think that they're going to be able to write their own script and kind of change that narrative to – you know, it, it, people kind of make fun of the it's a new season. As soon as conference play started, it's a brand-new year, 2021, all that stuff. I get that, but you almost can't. It, it almost feels like they are going to be able to look at this and said, yep, the non-conference slate was just we're, – we're just going to trash that. It was a, a garbage start. This From this point – from the start of conference play, this has been a brand-new basketball team, and I think – I think the the AP voters will start understanding that here in a, in a little while if things keep progressing this way. And I think by the end of the year, the selection committee may think the same thing. Well, too, I think another thing that we need to point out as well, obviously you can't erase those wins when it comes to your resume, but the committee can kind of look at them and see, okay, this was Kentucky without Keon Brooks. Now that you see the impact that Keon has on this team, let's say that Keon just completely changes this team over the next two months. And he just has, let's say he, he puts up all SEC numbers. Mm-hmm. Like, averages about 13, 14 points a game. It definitely changes the way that you look at their 1-6 and six start, given that they were without their leader and their best player. It doesn't completely wipe it out, but it will significantly change it. Uh, obviously, a couple of years ago, Duke, when they were without Zion Williamson, remember those wins, those losses didn't count. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it'll be something to watch. Uh, they've been without Terrence Clark the last couple of games as well, but they've been able to win all three of those. And then it, it just goes back to everything that I said at Mississippi State when we were in the hotel that night, Jack. If, if you can change the mind, I think that that's where it started with this team. And, and Cal also had some help. You can change the mind and say, all right, this is a new season because now they're undefeated in SEC play. So that's the record you're looking at. You're not looking at the 4-6 and six anymore or the 1-6. and six. You're looking at the 3-0. and oh. It's a new year, a resolution. You can say, okay, we are going to be better in twenty in 2021 than what we were in 2020. Anything to change the mind. And I think that's been the biggest thing that has led to this turnaround the last three games. Are they are, are there still going to be bumps in the road? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This yep. team is still going to have games where they struggle. I still think they're going to lose a game or two where they play poorly. That's just part of it. Mm-hmm. But what you're seeing now is that they were significantly better than what we were seeing at the start of the year. This is a team that had a lot of bad luck. They've had two shots that rim out that if you have those two wins, the record looks a little bit better than what it does right now, and it would be two massive wins. 
uh, for this team. But they, they learned how to win. They're still learning how to win. They're still kind of figuring out how to play together and how all these pieces fit together. And there's, there's still time. There, and we also have to mention, too, you just never know what's going to happen with COVID, you know, what games are going to get moved. Uh, right now, I think that Kentucky has been able to benefit from being in a rhythm. They've not had a shutdown. They've not had a, a – the South Carolina game definitely was was postponed to a later date. But uh, it's been beneficial for this team to stay in the gym and keep pushing. And I thought it was big, too, that Cal talked that he over – kind of over – went overboard with some of the COVID protocol and stuff mm-hmm. that they were doing uh, with Kentucky's own bubble and being there where they weren't allowed to be around one another, even though they could practice together and stuff. They didn't have that team building stuff that they, that they had going on, but now that's changed yeah. and Cal is making sure that they're doing uh, more stuff together as a team. And I think that they're benefiting from that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I just, what a, what a, start to 2021 as a whole but I mean goodness just the last 48 hours it seems it's just been just night and day from the constant negativity and and you know it, it just got so tiresome coming on this show and it and having it just be non-stop oh yeah Kentucky sucks again what how did, did Sean explain to me how Kentucky sucked this time around like it's just been and they did they deserved they it weren't good. yeah they weren't they were not good but it's just been so tiring you know talking about that and just waiting for that can can they just can we get just get something can we see something that makes us go okay we can turn the season around things are looking up and I mean it just seems like it all kind of hit us at once I mean we with just in the last 48 hours alone, you get the massive blowout win in Gainesville, and then just tonight you get um, obviously the the commitment of Oscar Shuboy. Just it just it feels like things are trending back to that optimistic you know mindset that we had going into this year, and it just feels good, Sean. It does. It feels really good, actually. Uh, having some wins to talk about, it, it got tired. I got tired of riding about them losing and I, I said it it was a it was a weekly thing where we just we started like in 1980 is their worst start that kept going back and then went all the way to the 1920s and at, at some point I said well it eventually has to end they, yeah. they've had this is either going to be their worst start or they're going to toss something else but no we've we've got to talk about some positive news the last couple of weeks and it, it's definitely been good it started with Dante Allen's performance in Starkville that you know we were there to cover and then the win, Davion Mintz hitting the big shot against Fandy. Now a blowout win, Keon returns. A lot of positive PR for this Kentucky team right now. And I think what you're seeing is on a national level, you're going to see some opinions change. That Kentucky certainly has a pulse. Uh, they're not dead. I thought it was very, very clever uh, what UK put together this morning of Keon Brooks and the Undertaker with the with the mask on, yep. getting up out of the <laughs> casket. Uh, Kentucky's not dead. Kentucky has a pulse. There's still a lot of basketball left to be played. There's still a lot of room for improvement and growth, and I expect this team to continue making strides, but there still will be some bumps along the way. This is a game Tuesday night. I, I don't know. Maybe we'll get to do a pregame show or something for that one and talk a little bit more about it, but it's a big challenge. It's an Alabama team who's coming into Rupp Arena that can score a lot of points, but this is also a Kentucky team that just continues to climb in the efficiency ratings and Ken Palm on the defensive category. This is going to be an elite defensive team when we get to March. I think they're, they climbed maybe to 17 the last time I looked in Ken Palm's defense, uh, adjusted defensive numbers. So this is a team, Jack, that's right there 
with some of the best the Cal has had defensively, and they just keep getting better. But now you see the offense starting to flow and come along as well. Absolutely. Big, big opportunity on Tuesday for the Wildcats. Uh, we're going to end it there. Um, just a huge day for, for Kentucky basketball with Oscar Shubway's commitment. Big night the last night with Kentucky's road blowout win in Gainesville. Um, so a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this. I, we needed this. It, it, just, it just feels good to be good again. Sean, where can fans find your work? You can find my work at GoBigBlueCountry.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry. You can find me on Twitter at JackPilgrimKSR. Reach out to me via email at JPilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. With that, we will be back next time for another Jam Pack Sources Say podcast. We will see you then. 